Blog Talk Radio. And hello out there to all you Brooklyn folk and beyond. This is Sam Maxwell, and you are here with the Bedford and Sullivan Podcast, the podcast that keeps you, the audience, active listeners in the Brooklyn Dodgers TV series research process. And uh, for the third time in our podcast history, we are going to have uh, some family on the podcast, uh, talking a little Brooklyn today. Um, first, uh, I'm going to welcome my aunt Barbara. Hello, uh, hello, Barbara. <laughs> Hi, Sam. Nice to be with you today. Nice to be with you. I hope you uh, you're holding up during uh, all of this, and also want to welcome on the uh, the line my uncle Stan. What's going on, Stan? Hey, Sam. How you doing? Cannot complain. So I, I will start on, on uh, you know, you, you guys, obviously you guys have been together during this entire period of, of COVID-19, but I'll start with you, Stan. What has your experience been like this uh, uh, during this entire period? You know, have, have you any ever experienced anything like this before in your entire life? I Well, only with an illness, which was personal, but other than that, um, and I consider myself very lucky. I mean, uh, I'm a little older, so at my age, I am retired. I don't have to go into the city or go into, you know, work. Um, and uh, it's I just look up at the sky, and I, I'm very thankful for where we are. Uh, we have food on the table. We have a house to live in. Uh, and obviously concerned about the people who aren't as fortunate. But yeah, yeah it, that, that is for sure. Um, uh, Barbara, wh- what have you guys been doing this entire time? Uh, tell tell the audience members. Obviously, I know what you guys have been up to. Uh, you were you were gone. You were away from home at the time that this all started. So tell tell a little bit about your experience with all of this. Well, yeah, we were in Florida for the winter. We were there for two months till March 31st, and we didn't know whether to stay. We had the option to stay a little longer. But we really wanted to get home, so we left a few days before the end of March. Um, it was very scary. We drove home, and uh, not knowing what the restrooms would be, the rest stops would be like, or the hotels. So we were very cautious. Went into the hotel rooms and spread it, uh, sprayed it with Lysol, wiped it down, and then brought our own food. We didn't order in. We brought our own pillowcases and towels to spread out on the dresser to put the food down. We were very, very cautious. And thank goodness we got home safely. We stayed out two nights. And since then, we've been home. We quarantined for two weeks. Uh, the only thing we did was go out for food the next day after we got home, but we quarantined for two weeks. And since then, we've basically been home. Um gone out a couple of times for on uh, essentials but um just hanging out at home and uh you know doing instacart to get our orders uh we walk a little bit um we have a treadmill so stan's been doing that and that's it you know we're just hanging in and our, our children who live in brooklyn have come a couple of times but we've social distanced uh, they stay in the driveway. The girls, my granddaughters, play in the driveway, and we sit in the garage and watch them. And we can't hug them or touch them. My granddaughter, my right. four, said, Grandma, uh, we have to air hug until the virus is over. That's what she told me. So I guess 
but I have to. <laughs> and it it must be adorable, just even even the motion of her trying to air hug you. It it must be absolutely adorable. It's, uh, it's adorable, but you know, I, I it's hard not to not to hug them. It really is. Yeah, so Stan, I'll start with you here. Uh, is there anything yep. in growing up in Brooklyn that, that you can remember, uh, um, personal or otherwise, that relates to what you're what you're going through right now? Anything in in your life growing up in Brooklyn? You're talking to me. You know, um, no, nothing, nothing. No, sorry, Stan. First, Stan first, if possible, Barbara. Sure. What? Hi. Okay. The uh, the. Uh, the closest thing I can relate to was uh, one year we had a snowstorm and we were like uh, house ridden for three days. Uh, I was able to uh, to sneak into work um, for the couple of days, but instead of going in it early in the morning till late at night, I would go in like ten o'clock till three. And uh, but it was a snowstorm. It wasn't where people were uh, where people, you know, again were really house ridden. Uh, most people were smart enough to stay home. Um, but uh, other than that, I don't recall anything that was uh, anything like this. I mean, you know, you tend to forget because, and again, going back to the fact that we have a house to live in, we have uh, a roof over our heads, I should say, uh, food to eat. So uh, it's the only thing we do now, basically, watch television. We try to exercise, and I'll tell you one thing that I thought about is if for any reason this should ever reach me, I want to be, now I am overweight, all right, but I want to be in the best possible shape that if this should hit me, that I'm going to be at least strong enough to attempt to to fight it. You know, I'm not, uh, I'm not the, uh, again, 79 years old and uh, just, Doing a treadmill a half hour a day, uh, doing some push-ups, uh, trying to, like I say, get a strong. Oh, and having vitamins. Do vitamins help? I have no idea. But mentally, for me, it gives me the idea that I'm getting all the necessary uh, requirements. If that, uh, I don't know if it is a requirement. Or again, I don't know if it honestly helps. But mentally, it does help me. You know, to get through this period of time. Well, Stan, you know, I think you're selling yourself short in this, that, that yeah, you're saying you might maybe a little bit overweight right now, but I, I would still say that this is the healthiest you've ever been in your life, just knowing you my entire life. I think you've done a great job staying healthy over these last few years. Well, I'm trying. Uh, I do recall back in uh, 2001, I did have colon, and as a male, I did have breast cancer, which is quite unusual. Um but uh, I had seven days to be hospitalized and then recuperation. But, um, you know, now it's like uh, to walk around the, uh, to, to walk around our block or to do some exercise. Or, again, if I don't walk around the block, I'll do a half hour on the treadmill, um, you know. And uh, like I say, it just, I feel, uh, I can't believe it. In my age, I feel, you know, uh very good. I remember years ago, 79. My God, thank God I'm married to a child bride. So, uh, but the idea <laughs> is for me to be my age and to feel as good as I do. Uh, you know, I, I feel thankful. 
And we're so thankful to have you still here, Stan, with everything that you've gone through. You're, you're, uh, nobody would just be in, in talking to you right now. Nobody would know that you're 79. So uh, we wish you uh, a happy and healthy one from here on out, uh, one way or the other. And uh, and uh, I'll go to I'll go to you, Barbara, with, with this next one, and I'll kind of make it a, a two-parter. Uh, first, is there anything in in your life growing up in Brooklyn that you can relate to? that helps you prepare better for this. And also what, what are some of the precautions you remember people taking back then? And maybe even specifically grandma, grandma Rose and Papa Harry, uh, your parents, my grandparents, what, 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 what would they do to try to prevent their children from getting sick at the time? Oh gosh. Um, well, I don't remember. I don't remember anything like this in my lifetime. This is uh, something that um, you know we heard about the 1918 flu, Spanish flu. We heard about the depression, but we didn't live through anything like this. You know, I was born after the war, and um, and I don't know. I mean, when I was younger, I, my parents. They followed whatever was the protocol at the time when you were sick. Uh, when we were sick, we used to, the doctor used to come to my house. We didn't have to go to the doctor. He would come. We would wait for him. We'd be in bed waiting for him to come, and he would come and prescribe some medicine and uh, give it to us, and we were fine. Um, I don't know. There was no – it wasn't anything like this at all. I, I – I, I, I'm racking my brain, but I can't think of anything. Um, you know, my parents were cautious, of course. They were very cautious, but um, nothing like this. They never even talked about anything like this, and they never even talked about the Spanish flu. They were alive, but they were young. They were very young, so they never. I never remember anyone talking about it. Well, interesting uh, talking about the doctors making house calls at the time, you know, and, and I guess in this day and age, it, it, it's really just, it's, it's become all virtual. You know, you, you, you want to ask the doctor something, and if it's not an emergency, you can just get on, on a Zoom call or, or whatever they have set up with their application. It, it, it's pretty fascinating, and I'll go to you with uh, uh, part of the same question, Stan, um, Bob and Flo, your parents, what are some of the yeah. things that you remember them, if, if anything, uh, uh, the precautions they would take to make sure their kids weren't getting sick? Um, I, I just, uh, I guess, doctor, again, like doctor visits. I, I really don't, <laughs> I hate to say this, but it was a long time ago. And, uh, you know, uh, we had one one situation I did have. My dad was a traveling salesman, so he was out of town two weeks out of the month. And my mother uh, didn't drive, so uh, we did have a situation where every once in a while we'd have, you know, an illness problem, but nothing the magnitude of this. I mean, this is like um, to 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 be so long and to not know of any, you know, of when it's going to break or whatever. Um, it is strange to, like uh, I mentioned, uh, say before, to take a walk around uh, the block and uh, to see very few people out. Um, you know, most people are, I, what I say, doing the right thing, staying home, staying, you know, 
the six uh, six uh, feet away from everybody. Um, and uh, it, it's just very strange. It's like, uh, you know, you look outside and it's, I, I don't want to say it's like a ghost town, but uh, it's the right thing to do at this point. You know, uh, years ago, uh, I can't really remember anything of this, uh, anything like what we're going through right now. Yeah, and it doesn't seem like uh, it doesn't matter what your age is. Uh, everybody is experiencing this for the first time. It's pretty remarkable one way or the other, but, uh, you know, we wish everybody a, a healthy and safe one out there. Um, I, I'll, 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 I'll ask you uh, this, Stan. I, I've been uh, reading up on kind of like what the, the neighborhood was like, and, and without focusing too much on the COVID on, on COVID-19, uh, just, I, it, it's interesting, like, the way people would try to get into the ballpark back in the day. Um, and, and, you know, I, I was hearing about, uh, I was reading about, um, you know, some kids stealing bottles from, from uh, older ladies who, who wouldn't know any better. They're just going down into the dumbwaiter. I, I was wondering, I, I know that you weren't a Dodger fan, so you weren't necessarily trying to get into Ebbets Field every minute of the day. You were a New York Giants fan. We, we just recently had a bunch of uh, Giants folks on the podcast, in fact. So I was wondering if you could uh, talk about some, if not like mischievous uh, sets in terms of like that, uh, just something that you remember uh, about playing around in Brooklyn and, and, and trying to, to uh, uh, you know, pass the time along, but also get you know, get get uh, further ahead in your sporting life. <laughs> well, well, I, you know, it's funny that you say that. Uh, again, I was a, I was brought up as a New York Giant fan, and just a, uh, a short note about that. Um, as I mentioned, my dad was a traveling salesman, and I was about fourteen years old. I had come into the house, and I see he's watching a Yankee game. And uh, I said to him, why are you watching the Yankees when the Giants were on, on their television at that time? And I don't know if I made this up to be funny or if it really happened. Uh, he said tickets were easier to get. I mean, because to be brought up in Brooklyn, not as a Dodger fan, not as a Yankee fan, but as a New York Giants fan, it was very strange seeing, obviously, the Yankees won every year. And, uh, you know... The Giants got close, but uh, not close enough. <laughs> now, um, my mother did when I was about 10 or 11. She got me a black New York Giant uh, jacket, black jacket with the orange Giants across the uh, chest. And I used to wear that jacket uh, tremendously. And I would wear that jacket into Ebbets Field. And it's funny the young kids would look at me and, and like give me funny faces and the older people were very, and even though they were Dodger fans, the fact that here a, a young man was going to a game like that, uh, I was only about 20 minutes from Edwards Field. So, uh, you know, it was very, uh, and of course, uh, uh, I'm talking about either after school or days that we had off. Uh, I used to take two buses to get to Edwards Field and it was Say probably a twenty minute, uh, twenty minute uh, voyage, so to speak. So, uh, but it was a lot of fun. I did enjoy uh, 
you know, obviously rooting against the Dodgers and for the Giants or whoever was playing the Dodgers. Right, exactly, of course. Um, you know, that's like in this day and age, it's kind of like what you say, you know, you're you're happy to be rooting against the Yankees. Uh, obviously, I think you're you're – you're more, you're a lot happier when you're rooting for the Mets, but it still brings you joy in some fashion to to root against the other New York team. Well, you know what? It's funny now that we're that the Dodgers and Giant fans uh, generally become Mets fans. Um, but the it's interesting. Uh, years ago, when George Steinbrenner was the owner of the Yankees, um, I despised him. You know, but I used to, I guess, deep down inside saying, boy, I wish he was my owner. But but uh, I used to dislike him, and I used to obviously root against the Yankees. Today I give the Yankees a lot of credit. Uh, I can't root for them because I'm not going to change. I'm a National League fan. But, um, you know, again, I do respect, and I like Derek Jeter, I've always respected. I just uh, judge. I always respected him. They're gentlemen. They're good people. And uh, I don't root for them to win, but I do give them, uh, you know, your respect. Completely understandable. It's nice to be joined with Dodger fans that we are rooting for the Mets. Right, exactly. You know, we've talked a lot about the dynamics of the way things broke apart, Um, you know, where Giants fans weren't as offended as Dodger fans seem to have been, even though you did go ahead and become a Mets fan, there seems, especially I think because of Willie Mays, there was a lot of, of uh, Giants fans left over in the New York region. Um, I, I'm going to go to you, Barbara, for this. And, and I know that, you know, you, you weren't this diehard baseball fan. Uh, Papa Harry, uh, your father, my grandfather, was a Giants fan. Um, and, and I'm wondering you know, we've, we've talked, we've had you on the podcast before. We've talked about uh, uh, numerous items. I haven't been able to, unfortunately, uh, catch up and, and uh, you know, listen to it again. So I apologize to anybody if we're repeating ourselves, but it's always nice to, to remember once more. Um, do you, do you, so whatever experiences you have uh, with, with Papa Harry as a Giants fan, by all means, elaborate, but also, if, if you can go to that, the, um, what I was talking about, about the, the mischievous uh, nature of some of the, the kids trying to get to baseball games. Do you have any memories of, of what people were doing around uh, the neighborhood to try to, to uh, uh, get, you know, enrich their, sports, their sporting life, as I was saying? Well, I wasn't really into sports that much. I was a Georgia fan, but not a diehard Georgia fan. But, um, of course, when they won the World Series with the Yankees, it was so exciting. Everybody, you know, was, was so, so so excited. The schools were closed. There was a parade. Um, I don't remember my father, uh, his, his, his baseball, you know, getting into it all that much. Um, but the one thing I do remember as far as the kids go, we used to, um, the only thing I remember is that we used to save our, we used to, the good humor truck used to come around. I probably said this last time. But the good humor truck used to come around. We used to get our ice cream, and we used to save our sticks from the ice cream pops. 
And when you had 10 sticks, you could go to Ebbets Field and get a free ticket and get into see the game. And that's what I did with my friends quite a number of times. Um, and that was my exposure to the game. But we went there more as a social thing than actually really diehard, you know, into baseball. I was a diehard Dodger fan, but not into baseball kind of thing. And uh, right. But the most exciting thing was when they won that World Series with the Yankees. I don't know what year that was. Do you? Uh, 1955. 1955. 55, yes. October, October 4th, 1955. And it's, it's unbelievable what, you know, that game, Game 7 of the World Series, uh, October 4th, 1955, was just two hours of people's lives. And yet every day people are typing into Google, you know, researching that game, that one specific game. And in fact, like something that I discovered just listening to the ball game, I haven't actually finished the entire thing, but the national broadcast on the radio, um, uh, some, some, somebody at Yankee Stadium runs up on Duke Snyder in the middle of this broadcast, nobody had ever mentioned this about Game 7 of the World Series. Um, so it, it's interesting that you're bringing that up, Barbara, because uh, there, there's always something new to find out about just a two-hour chunk of, of, of Earth time. It's amazing to me. Well, it was um... – no, there's a lot of things in your childhood. I was a young kid. I mean, there was a lot of things in your childhood you don't remember, but that stands out as a highlight in my life. You know, I mean, it, it, as far as the sports highlight, because it was it was the most exciting thing uh, in, in sports that I can remember. Yeah. No, and, and as it should be. Um, and I'll go to you, Stan, with what something Barbara mentioned about going to the game. You know, she talked about how it was still a little bit more casual for her. Um, but if you could relate what your experience at Ebbets Field was compared to what going to a ball game is like now, you know, it, it seems to me, and it, it's something that impressed me about going to a Rangers game, a New York Rangers game at, at the Garden, in that it – what, what I could only imagine Ebbets Field must have been most of the time was very similar to, to what that Ranger game was for me, where every, everybody, no matter what the bells and whistles that are around, are paying attention to the game at hand. That, that was something that I, I got out of the, New, the only New York Ranger game I've ever been, that I, I thought this, when I thought to myself when I was there, this must have been. This must be what being at Ebbets Field was like. Uh, being at Ebbets Field, yeah, you know, again, the economy. Or uh, let me let me go back for a second. Uh, some of the things that we have today in life were a lot. We had a lot less back then. We weren't as knowledgeable with certain things. There wasn't the internet. There weren't, uh, you know, all the advances we have now. And people, hardworking people living in Brooklyn, when you used to go to a game, now I was, again, I was younger, uh, obviously, when uh, Ebbets Field, they moved out in 58. Um, in 58, I was like 18 years old. So um, it was like people who were hardworking people, when they got to a baseball game, they, they relaxed. They, you know, they forgot all about their uh, 
you know, it's like uh, I love to tell jokes, as you know, and I like when people smile. When I see somebody smile, it makes me feel like, you know, I everybody has something that bothers them. And if I can do one thing to alleviate some of the pressure they have by telling a joke and making them smile, that makes me feel great. When you went to a baseball game, you forgot everything that bothers you. And all you thought about were the next batter up, why you, where your team is in the stand and what is going on and so on. So uh, the the excitement of going to a ball game, and again, most people don't go to a ball game, obviously, every game, but they'll go one game here, one game there. So it's like a, uh, it's like a party, you know, when you go to the game. Uh, to have uh, uh, Franks, uh, you know, Frankfurters, and, uh, you know, uh, I was never a beer drinker, but, you know, to have a beer or a soda, and just to relax and enjoy yourself and not think about anything else but what's going on on the field. So there was an excitement. There was a, a joy to the games. So, Barbara, in similar fashion, you know, what I was saying, comparing and contrasting being in a ball game now to your experience and being, and that it was, it was social for you, but in, in that social element of it, what, what do you still, uh, in comparing and contrasting, what do you remember it differently? How do you remember it compared to the games that you go to now? Uh, well, I was a kid, so I was with my friends, and we were really more interested in the social aspect than we were in the game. Now when I go to a game, which is not that often, um, I'm interested in the game, you know, and, um, and what's going on. I understand it better now than I did then. I really didn't understand baseball all that much. Um, you know, three strikes and you're out. I understand, you know, all the nitty gritties I didn't understand, which I understand more now. Um, and, uh, and, you know, like I'm, I'm more, I'm still not that much into sports all that much, but when I'm, I'm more into it when I know my team is winning and it's a playoff or a world series or something like that, then I get really, really into it. But on the day to day, I'm not into it that much, but I do enjoy going to the games. It, 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 it has a better flavor than sitting home and watching it on TV. I get into it more when I'm there I, I, than sitting and that watching it on TV. You know, All right, so I'm going to try to dig deep into your memories uh, before, before you, you go, Stan. And I'll start with you, Stan, and then I'll go to you, Barbara. What, what do you remember about outside the ballpark? What do you guys remember, and, and I'll start with you, Stan, what do you remember about the feeling and vibe on the streets outside of the actual, of, of, of the ball game going on? Well, one thing about sports is usually when people go to a ball game, there's a bit of excitement, and that I, I think the same thing today as I remember from years ago. I remember standing online waiting to get into the game. As Barbara mentioned, we used to uh, I don't know. I don't recall if it was uh, ice cream sticks or you ha- you had the uh, the wrappers. And don't forget, at that time, to go to a ball game, you're talking about uh, twenty five cents to sit in the bleachers, you know, 
where today uh, you have to sell your firstborn to get to a game. But uh, at that time, again, money was not the way it is today. Uh, you had a, you, you, like I say, the bleachers were packed. The other seats around, especially during the week, were, uh, you know, a couple of people here, a couple there. But the bleachers were always packed. And they, of course, I think if you didn't have an ice cream, maybe it was uh, $5, $8 to go or sit in the bleachers, you know, to see a game. But the enthusiasm was the same thing then as now because you were going to an event. By the way, just as a, as a uh, or to ask you a question, was the when the Dodgers beat the Yankees, was that the year that Lawson, Don Lawson pitched his no hitter? You recall? No, he he pitched the no hitter. He pitched the no hitter in '56. Okay, all right. Because that was a. I so, and and, and what the, let me just say uh, before you elaborate, Stan. Let me just say that that game, when you really think about it, uh, is is was a major turning point for that World Series, which I believe the Yankees won in seven games. I don't recall. I just remember at that time I had had, and it sounds like I have a lot of illnesses. Thank the Lord in my years. I very few, uh, you know, illnesses, but I recall at that game, um, I was in a hospital bed. I was in for about 10 days at that time. Uh, some kind of, uh, some kind of pulmonary problem, which after I was finished, I'm fine. Um, and I remember being in a hospital bed, and I had a TV, and all of a sudden a priest, a young priest, came over to me. And being of the Jewish faith, the priest came over and said, Mr. Harris, he says, do you mind if I sit down and talk to you for a while? And my reaction was, Father, when I have good wishes, I will accept it from everybody. And I thought it was so wonderful that uh, a situation like that, and we watched the game together. And it was a very exciting game, but I was as excited as that I was with the relationship of the priest and myself. So uh, that's... So do you uh, believe... That's a remarkable story. Do you believe you were rooting for the Yankees by the end of it, just because, or at least you were rooting for the perfect um, game? I guess I was rooting for the perfect game, even, you know, it was a Yankee. As I say, look, I, I there were certain times, and I am a fan, if I'm not a baseball fan. I'm a Mets fan. I'm not a Ranger fan. I'm not a uh, hockey fan. I'm a Ranger fan. I'm not a basketball fan. I'm a Knicks fan. I'm not a, a football fan. I'm a Giants fan. So with me, you could say Los Angeles is playing Chicago, and okay, fine, big deal. But if you said the Giants or the Knicks or the Rangers, you know, or the Mets were playing anybody, um, you know, that's the game I want to be at or I want to focus on. So um, it's a uh, – uh, now, that I went into a tangent, so <laughs> – but, again, I'm old, so <laughs> once in a while. So. Uh, hey, no, it's, it's, all, it's all good. And then I, I, I got, we got to go back to Barbara, but I, I'll leave it with this. I'll leave the, the, this segment with that. Who was the priest rooting for? Um, you know what? I don't believe he he had any special. Just the the idea. Number one of us sitting together, uh, and number two is the fact that he was enjoying watching a baseball game. 
I don't recall, to be honest with you. It's interesting, uh, interesting though, yeah. You know, again, you have to recall, I was a giant, uh, I was a, let's see, in that time, the uh, Giants were still around. See, because Mm -hmm. to go back, once the Giants and the Dodgers left New York, as soon as they they left, the last game in New York, and that people said to me, well, you're going to remain a Giants fan? I said, heck no. Why? Because if they're leaving me, why should I go with them? I tried to be a Yankee fan. It lasted, I think, a day and a half. And I said, you know what? I'm a, I'm a National League fan. I can't root for the Yankees. Next year, as soon as five years later, when the Mets came into being, I became a Mets fan. So, uh, sorry. Well, perfect. Perfect. No, it's it, hey, it, it. I appreciate it. It makes me think about all those different tangents of people after uh, 1957. Uh, Barbara, uh, going back to the ballpark. Um, you know, we've talked a lot about inside the ballpark. What do you remember about the neighborhood? What do you remember about around Evans Field? Um, I don't really remember too much. I do. I can say that the vibe coming out of the ballpark was the exact same vibe it is today. It's people talking to each other about the game, about the players, um, and they have like a common um, a common denominator. Everybody is rooting for the same team, and uh, they all have um, they're all excited or upset that they you know the team lost or excited that the team won. Winning um, and around Brooklyn. It was the only thing different today is I go to my car when I was in Brooklyn, I would take a bus with my friends and we would, you know, we'd hop on a bus because then back then we were, we were young and we, we didn't drive obviously. And, uh, but I think the vibes as far as the fan goes was pretty much the same as it is today. What do you remember about the trolleys, if anything? I, I know that the – I believe the trolleys went away the year the Dodgers won the World Series, ironically, uh, you know, which says a lot, um, which is it's, it's a, a very, very uh, metaphorical. But um, what, what do you remember, if anything, about taking that form of transportation? I don't remember very much. It's very vague in my mind, to be honest with you. I must have been very young when the trolley – I think the trolley – disappeared gradually so it wasn't in every neighborhood you know the last part of the trolley must have gone maybe that year but it wasn't in my neighborhood uh where i lived so i didn't i don't remember taking it stan do you remember anything about the trolley i remember the trolley is being in brooklyn on Conia on uh Coney Island Avenue and Coney Island Avenue used to stretch. I'm trying to think where, and, uh, it, I lived on, uh, and people from Brooklyn who are listening will know Foster Avenue and Coney Island Avenue. And actually between Foster, between Coney Island Avenue and Ocean Parkway on right off Foster Avenue. So, uh, I had three blocks and the trolley was there. And I remember when I went to school, I went to Midwood High School, and I used to take the trolley to Avenue J, and Avenue J, there was a bus that went around to the school. 
And if it was a nice day, I'd walk 20 blocks. If it was a nasty day or a, a rainy or snowy day, then I used to take the trolley into the... Uh, but, uh, you know, other than that, I just remember uh, they took it. They took the buses away, but we had a bus on Avenue J, so I didn't think it was a big deal. Looking back now, uh, I say it is a part of history that... Uh, that was taken away from us. Now that I think back, it, it, you know, it was really nice to be on the rails, you know, uh, on the rails there. I didn't go, as I say, to go to school, but, uh, you know, now I do miss them. I said it would have been something different. You now know, I, that's about it. I, 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 don't think, I don't think that Robert Moses would have been in charge of making the decisions about the trolleys because I believe at this time all of those companies were private. It was not a consolidated uh, government sub- subsidiary. Um, but just I, I, I'd like to go down that tangent then, and I'll go back to you, Barbara, first. What do you remember about Robert Moses during your, your uh, early lifetime? I don't remember anything. Yeah. I really don't. When was <laughs> I, I? Well, I don't. I remember the name, but that's really about it. I'm sorry. I uh, when 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 was he around? What what? Yeah, I must have been really. Well, around. yeah, no, around around the the 40s, 50s, and 60s. Well, even before that, but specifically with the Triborough Bridge and Tunnel Authority, and then he was in charge of construction in uh, post-war. Yeah. Uh, all construction around the city. Uh, Stan, do you remember anything about him? Robert Moses, wasn't he the guy that led the Jewish people out of Egypt? Oh, no, that was the other Moses. Okay. Well, uh, yeah. <laughs> uh, no, no he, probably, he probably led he led a lot of Jewish people out of the pathway of a highway. I'll tell you that much. Oh, maybe, that, maybe that's what it was. No, I remember the name Robert Moses. Um, Thinking back now, I, I really don't remember much about I can't remember. I, I, it's a funny thing. I was thinking about Reese Park, but that was Jacob Reese. That was, uh, but it was, I guess it was around the same time. But I, I remember the name Robert Moses. And if you, if you ask me, I, I don't even remember what his title was. So I apologize for that. No, no, it's okay. It's okay. I just was I was wondering because I, you know, what I've read is that he he was very much about putting himself in the press with all of his accomplishments and all the different things he was he wanted to do. Um, so was he the one that just was, was wondering. For the, I'm sorry. Was he the one that was responsible for the move of the Mets and of the Giants and Dodgers out to the West Coast? Well, he he's. He's responsible for not negotiating with Walter O'Malley, and I guess you know I don't know as much. I, I I haven't read about the ballpark situation with the Giants as much. I know that they were looking for one, uh, but Walter O'Malley was was actively pursuing with Robert Moses uh, a ballpark in Brooklyn, and he basically wanted the land. From my understanding, right. overall, is that he wanted the land through eminent domain. And no matter what Walter O'Malley did to try to pretend like uh, the, the Dodgers weren't just a private entity in terms of like parking spaces and this, that, and the other, right. uh, he couldn't he couldn't sell it that way. So they they yes, Robert Moses is in some fashion responsible for the uh, both teams leaving. Yeah. Okay. 
Yeah, I remember, well, uh, the president of the Giants, I think at the time, was Horace Stoneham. And uh, yes. I remember, mm-hmm. I was so, when, they, when that happened, I mean, like, uh, my world, uh, <laughs> you know, my God, baseball, uh, you know, what's going to happen? We'll have, you know, we didn't have a National League team in New York. So, uh, but thank God we all survived. It almost makes you think that that if there was another American League near, if there had been four teams at the time, because the, the like basically the both National League teams needed needed each other because of the rivalry. Right, exactly. But still, being you know, like I say, a Giant fan in Brooklyn, you know, I had two teams to root against, and when they played each other. Um, you know, only uh, as I say with Lawson, when you you want to see something like that. Um, one of the games I remember recently, I think we were there together many years ago. Uh, when uh, uh, oh, Vargas was it? Vargas pitched the no hitter against the Mets. Uh, uh, not against the Mets, for the Mets. Uh, I don't yeah, know say say it again about. I'm sorry. I say it again. Yeah, uh, we were at a Mets game. Uh, uh, you and Dustin, uh, you know, our son. Oh, and, you, uh, mean, you mean uh, Johan Santana? Santana, not Vargas. Santana. When he pitched that. Yeah, definitely uh, not Vargas. That, <laughs> not, what's that? I'm sorry. Um, I, no, 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 I said definitely not Vargas. <laughs> no, not Vargas. I, it was Santana. I do apologize for the. Uh, and the funny thing is, I have an old shirt. With Santana on, uh, you know, on the back of it, a metro. Um, but the, uh, uh, like I say, you, you know, you root for something like that because it's a part of history, you know. And uh, a lot right. of people don't know about it today, but uh, you know, I was fortunate enough to see that in a hospital bed. But uh, you know, I survived it, so the fact that I was there was helpful. Yeah, it 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 was uh, you know also a good a good omen for uh, things to come in terms of your hospital care. So let's keep exactly. you know anytime that happens, let's keep that going on. Um, Barbara, I'm going to go uh, completely left and uh, get off of baseball, and uh, I and I will follow up with Stan on this. But let's talk about the movies. Let's talk about uh, pop culture at the time. Um, what are what are some of both like the movies that you remember? Just one of the first things that popped to your head uh, of of that early childhood when the Dodgers were here. Uh, what what movies do you remember going to see? And also what what uh, performances do you remember going to see in in whether it's Brooklyn or anywhere around New York City? What, what do you remember of the time? Well, the first movie I ever went to see was Bambi. I was was maybe like four years old, and that was very, very uh, emotional for me because Bambi's mother dies, so that was really (laughs) tough. But um, but as far as the performances, um, we, uh, you know, in the fifties, we used to go to the rock and roll shows, and we went to every single rock and roll show wherever they were. Downtown Brooklyn uh, was was a big one. And the other thing that I remember doing was American Bandstand. We went to, me and my friends went to Philadelphia and stood online to get in to see American Bandstand, and we did. 
we got in and we were, you know, part of the audience. It was every day after school in the 50s, we'd run home to watch American Bandstand. It was like part of our lives. We like became, you know, those kids that were on the American Bandstand were our friends. They were part of our lives. And, um, and those are the things. You know, the other movies, I remember Gone with the Wind was a big one. I don't know when that was out, but I remember that one. And uh, well, that must have been that must have been a re-release uh, because it came out in 1939. Yeah, I'm I'm thinking that it did, but it probably was a you know it was a big movie that everyone always talked about. Um, but uh, but that's what I remember. You know, the the, the shows were um, all these rock and roll groups um, was huge. It was it was in, it was enormous. Yeah, uh, Stan, I'll ask you the same question. Performances, movies, music, all of the right. above. Well, uh, first of all, I got excited when Barbara said Bambi was the first movie. I saw that was my first movie. As soon as you said, oh, what do you remember about movies? Bambi was the only one as a child I remember. And uh, I remember it was, it was very emotional for a young child to see uh the Bambi's mother. You know, it's funny how you watch a movie or you watch a show, and the show, it's not always the show that's of interest, it's the people. And if you like the people, like there's a number of shows that I watch now on television, and I say, these plots, they're basically all the same. But do I like these characters? Are they favorites of mine? If this one gets hit on the head, but he was one of my favorites, I hate the person that hit him. Uh, in other words, I look at them as family. You don't see them, but, you know, you see them on television. So uh, when I saw Bambi and the mother got, I, I, was, I was emotional. Uh, but thinking back to other movies, I was more of a Western um, I used to like Hopalong Cassidy, uh, uh, Tex Ritter. I don't know if you, if you heard the name Tex Ritter. He was a uh, one of the original cowboys. Um, uh, who else? Uh, uh, the Lone Ranger, Lone Ranger and Tonto, the original series, way back when. And these were the kind of movies I loved to see. Um, I loved horses, and uh, you know uh, that was my background. Um, I think when, there was another a movie I was thinking, I think From Here to Eternity was a movie about uh, uh, Frank Sinatra, with Frank Sinatra and things like that. But mostly, as I say, mostly I was into the Cowboys. I remember when, uh, when I was a child, my mother used to take me to the movies and for, I think, also like a quarter, you could stay from like one o'clock in the afternoon to six o'clock at night and see one movie after another. So, you know, you go out for popcorn, <laughs> which was probably a quarter at that time, you know, or, uh, or you go to the, uh, the bathrooms and then you come back and you go in and you watch the second movie and the third movie. And then six o'clock, my mother used to, or my dad used to pick me up, you know, and take me home. So uh, where we had, we lived, uh, you know, we were like three blocks away from two movie theaters. So it was, uh, you know, I'm talking about on the weekend when there was no school or, uh, you know, and the, uh, my parents wanted to have some time to do whatever they had to do, you know. So uh, 
there was they, the movies were like a babysitter at that time. So it, it was, uh, and we used to enjoy it, you know. And then it gave us something to talk about, you know, with our friends. Well, interestingly enough, you know, uh, just talking about Bambi, Bar- uh, Barbara, um, yeah. uh, Papa Harry, uh, your father, my grandfather, uh, worked for RKO and Disney over the course of his life. So, uh, it, you know, I I think in some fashion that's another reason, I, other than how important emotionally that movie was for so many people and the fact that it, it's still to this day we're talking about that moment and the fact that Disney trusted the audience and trusted uh, uh, this new medium that he was presenting uh, uh, to have the emotional resonance that it needed and for people to, to not reject it. But um, he, basically, Papa Harry distributed that movie. Is that correct? Or helped to? Yeah. I mean, when he worked for, um, I don't know if it was an RKO movie. He didn't work for Disney at the time. He worked for RKO at that time. So if he distributed... Well, so RKO, uh, RKO distributed Disney's movies early in, in the game, and then Disney okay. started Buena Vista distribution. Okay, so then he did, because, yeah, he worked for RKO, I would say, until... Um, somewhere around uh, the mid-50s, late-50s. And then he, as RKO closed, or they were laying people off, and he got laid off, and he was able to get a job with Disney. And when he worked for Disney, he distributed a lot of movies um, overseas. He would distribute it to um, movies that went to different countries. You know, that were, I guess, either um, subtitles or they were dubbed. But that's that's what he did for Walt Disney for many, many years. Yeah, uh, and, and one of the reasons why we're so connected to Disney, uh, this, this family, just in terms of both, both uh, from an actual family lineage, but I think that family lineage kind of connects us emotionally to the material they've produced over the years. Uh, guys, we've got about 10 minutes left before the end of the hour, so we'll start segueing out of there. Um, Barbara, I want to elaborate on rock and roll. Um, how, how do you remember it coming to form? You know, how, uh, obviously, I think by the time you were a teenager uh, is, was really when it, it had already taken off, but earlier than that, the, you know, what was that? I didn't hear. I didn't hear what you said in the beginning. I'm sorry. No, it's okay. I, I'll I'll start with, you know, by the time you were a teenager, you were able to go to those things, and rock and roll had really taken off at that point. So, what do you remember earlier on? You know, it, whether it's just listening to the radio around the house, uh, you know, it it it's told about rock and roll in many ways that it just like happened like a bolt of lightning, but it was really a lot steadier of a evolution than just a bolt of lightning. So what do you remember about the early uh, stages of rock and roll prior, even prior to being able to go see those, those rock and roll shows, go down to American bandstand. I remember the music. I remember, um, I have all the 45s. I remember getting involved in the original one, which was rock around the clock. 
I mean, that was that was a big one. I remember when that came out and everybody was 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 going nuts about it. My friends and I would get together and just play music all the time. But during that time, um, besides the music, uh, my grandfather lived with us, um, and he was into TV a lot. And we used to, I used to watch westerns with him, like um, The Long Ranger, Hopalong Cassidy. I used to sit in and watch movies with him many, you know, for hours sometimes. He loved those Western movies. And that was the same time, you know, uh, we would go to, um, we would get together and we would go to uh, dances. Uh, it wasn't really dances. It was like in people's houses. And we would sit and listen to this music and it was boys and girls, and we would we would dance, and you know it, we 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 were coming of age, you know we were like fourteen, fifteen, you know it was um, it was it was you know the turning point, you know coming of age. We would uh, and and that's what I remember. I remember one song that I loved more than anything was Earth Angel. I couldn't get enough of it, um, and that uh, basically yeah, it's great song. Yeah, that was that was a great song. I still love it today. And uh yeah. Well, there there's certain songs that uh you can't skip no matter how many times you've heard it, and that's definitely one of those songs. Um yeah, like, So like, it's a perfect when, it's a perfect Yeah, go ahead. Like yeah, like you know, some of those songs when you listen to them today, I mean, today's songs have more meaning. Like I remember "Splish Splash." I was taking a bath. I mean, you know, it was it wasn't rocket science. You know? I mean, it was it was classy, it was but it was you know, it, it when you think about it, it's uh, it, it, it was it was kind of silly. Sam, what were you going to say? I say baths are very important. But, uh, yes, it's true. It, it, it had a good message behind it. You should be taking a bath. Uh, but I think, you know, that's what connects that, connects it to the pop music of today. It's just, it's all about connecting. You know, you get people, get something stuck in your head because it's, it's just that catchy. Um, and, but that's a perfect segue. You know, you both mentioned watching Westerns. And, and when you were doing so, you, you were doing so without knowing each other. You were both going through similar experiences without actually knowing each other. So you're talking about boys and girls, Barbara. Uh, I'll go to you first, Stan. What do you remember about when you first met Barbara? Oh, when I first met Barbara, um, the first time I spoke to Barbara, we had spoken for about three hours and, uh, uh, and uh, after on three hours, I on, on the phone. phone. Well, spoke on the phone for three hours, and it was a Monday night. And uh, I remember talking to her, and my reaction was, you know what? I like this person. She a lot of the things she said, a lot of the, um, I I I couldn't tell you exactly what we spoke about, but I remember I liked her tone of voice. I liked her her answers and her uh, the way we spoke, and I said I I really want to meet her. And after about three hours, I asked her out, and uh, I think it's a funny story because when I asked her out, there was a movie playing 
And if I'm not mistaken, it was the one with Ally McGraw and Ryan O'Neill. Um, Bob, do you remember love, that? Yeah, Love Story. Love Story. And I said, uh, you know, as we talked, I said, well, you know, I'd love to see that movie. And she said, well, I saw it already. I said, all right, so we'll go somewhere. She said, no, no, I'll go. <laughs> and uh, we made a day to go out on Saturday night. And I remember calling her back. And I said to her, um, we can't go to that movie. She said, why? I said, because it's playing in a dollar movie. And I said, I don't want anybody to look back and say, you know, hey, cheapskate, you took me to a dollar movie. So she says, no, but I really, I want to see the movie again. And <laughs> Barbara Swift never said this, but I said to her, you know, we'll we'll go somewhere. She, no, no, let's go there. I said, all right, fine. I I said something to the effect of, you know, I feel bad just taking her to a dollar movie. And she said to me, well, I'll give you a chance to spend more money later. And we did go out for Chinese food afterwards. And it was one of the best Chinese meals I had, you know, at that time. So, so Barbara, what do you remember about first meeting Sam? Well, um, I was in a singles weekend with friends of mine up in the Catskills, two other girls. And it was awful. So we left. And we we decided that we're going to try and get into the Concord Hotel. And in those days, the security was not like it is today. So when we drove up, uh, they stopped us, and they said, where are you going? We said, to see some friends, and they said, okay, go ahead. So we went in, and my first, the first time I ever saw Stan, he was around the pool, sitting on the top of a chair, on the, uh, not on the chair, but on top of the chair, and a bunch of people were standing around him, and he was telling jokes. And I know that you can relate to this, Sam. And... I said to For my sure. friend, oh, I said to my friend, oh, he's cute. And she says, I know him. She said, I'm going to fix you up with him. And that's what happened. When we got back home during the week, she called his house, and his mother answered the phone, and she said he wasn't there, but she'll have him call, call back. And I was at my friend's house, and he called back at my friend's house. We didn't have cell phones then, of course. And that's when we spoke for three hours, and that's how we met. And that's and that's um, and that's how it was. And then we went out. That's, and um, no, go ahead, go ahead. No, I'm I'm saying, and that's how we met, and we went out on our first date, and then we went out for continually. Where I think, um, I think within a year. Till so, so this day. Till so this day. <laughs> Yeah, till this day, right. It's a long time ago. <laughs> yeah. Well, guys, we're, we're getting within uh, of the hour, and, and uh, I'm, I think that's just the perfect way to, to cap this one off. I'm not sure if we had ever talked about you guys meeting. Um, uh, be, but before we, we segue out of the Bedford and Sullivan podcast, how old were you guys at, at that time, if you don't mind me asking? Uh, um, and, and, uh, Stan, and Barbara, if, you, if, you, if Stan just says it, then I don't have to ask you your age because I can figure it out on my own from how old Stan is. I, I, I was in my 20s. I'll say that. Okay. My early 20s. <laughs> That's what I'll say. <laughs> and and uh, same as well, Stan? Uh, he was in his late 20s. 
I it, yeah. It was I don't okay. know, it was so far back it's I don't maybe 20, remember. I don't know, maybe twenty six. He was probably around twenty six. Well, I'm so happy you guys met and I'm so happy to have shared you guys and constantly sharing you guys. Uh this is the third episode of the Bedford and Sullivan podcast with uh Aunt Barbara and Uncle Stan. And uh guys, you know, uh we we like to pass it over for our last word at the end of our, our shows. Um, and, and so, well, firstly, thank you both so much for coming on today. It, it was just marvelous time uh, talking to you guys about Brooklyn, baseball, and beyond. Uh, um, I'll start with you, Barbara. Thank you so much. Uh, go ahead with your last word. Oh, thank you, Sam. It was, it was fun. It was very informative and, very, and, and a lot of fun. And um, I just want everyone to be safe and healthy, and uh, hopefully we can get back to our normal lives very soon uh, and to a normal world. Um, love you. Love you. Uh, next year at City Field, as I like to say, uh, safe and healthy, okay, right? Uh, Stan, good. Stan, thank you so much for joining us today. Sam, it, was, it really was a pleasure. It brings back a lot of memories. Um, and like I say, it's funny how uh, I look at the world today, and I'm so thankful to be in the position where we are. Uh, I don't know what I, what I did to deserve this life. And again, you know, I'm not in, uh, we're not in the 1%. But we're doing fine. And the only thing I'd like to see, I'd like to see the people that are not as fortunate to have at least food to eat, a place to live, and things where, you know, um, you know, there's only so much that you can get out of life. And, you know, once you get to a certain point, do you really need more? Do you really, yeah, some people want um but there are people out there who are not as fortunate, who are good people. And uh, I just like to see the world in a little better place. And I'd like to see, um, you know, good things happen to everybody. So, uh, again, I thank for the opportunity to join you. And I look forward to seeing you very soon. Love you, hon. Love you. And, and thank you, Stan. And I appreciate that sentiment. Uh, and in that tone, I don't think we can finish this without you telling a joke. So please help put a, a more of a smile on everybody's faces. A joke? Well, there was a story about this 32-year-old young man, and 32 and single. And he's walking along the street one day, and he sees a rabbi. And he says to the rabbi, he says, uh, the rabbi says to him, how are you doing? He says, rabbi, to tell you the truth, I'm 32 years old, I'm single, I want somebody in my life, and every girl I bring home, my mother doesn't like. This one's too short. This one's too tall. This one's too heavy. This one's too thin. This one's not doesn't wear the right. Co- Anybody I bring home, she finds fault with. Rabbi says to him, "Well, young man, why don't you do this? Go out and find a girl that looks exactly like your mother, that dresses like her, that has shoes like her, that has hair like her, and your mother's gonna go crazy about her." Great suggestion, Rabbi. Thank you. Three weeks later, he's walking down the street, and he sees the rabbi. Rabbi says to him, well, son, 
How did my suggestion work out? He said, well, it was terrific, but it didn't work out. He said, I don't understand. He says, I found a girl exactly like my mother, hairstyle, shoes, dresses like her, talks like her. Everything was fantastic. Did your mother like her? She was crazy about her. What was the problem? My father couldn't stand her. There it is. <laughs> All right. Thank Hopefully you so much, Sam. <laughs> My pleasure. Always. I always do. Uh, thank you, guys. Thank you uh, both for joining us on the Bedford Sullivan Podcast. And thank you all for listening today. We appreciate your time and attention. Please be safe and be healthy. Take care. Bye. 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 Bye.